Thank you, Barbara. Good morning. Today's going to be a little bit different than normal. In fact, many of you who uh, possibly only attend second service, you're not used to hearing Barbara Simmons play the organ. So we have a picture of Barbara. If you, Becky, if you could throw that picture on the screen. That's Barbara Simmons. Now, Barbara has been on staff here at COV. Yeah, she can get an applause. She's awesome. <clears throat> Barbara has been on staff for 65 years. The church has existed for 67 Okay, so she's been on staff for 65 years. And before we get started today, things are going to be a little bit different. Like, a lot of people aren't even going to get to hear this, and that stinks for them. But here's what's going to be different about today. We are going to walk through a bit of the story of how many of us ended up at COV and what God's doing through the leaders of COV. And so with that, I want to show a quick video that some of you have probably seen before. Often when I go on a website to check out a church, there's some certain things I'm looking for. Like, who's the lead pastor? That's me. I'm Tim Riley. Where's the church located? We're located in Santa Clara, close to Santana Row and Valley Fair. We're close to Santa Clara University in San Jose State. We're a very multi-generational church. We have a thriving children's ministry. We have a lot of young adults and college students. We have a lot of young families, and we have a lot of people that are more seasoned. God's blessed us with a community that definitely looks a lot like the surrounding area of Santa Clara. Our children's ministry is very focused on making sure that our children get to know who the real Jesus is through the Bible. Those that pour into kids really take it seriously and they pray for the children within our community throughout the week. We worship every Sunday at 9.30 and 11 a.m. in our worship center. Our worship services consist of authentic worship, the reading and teaching of God's word, opportunities to connect with one another and talk and share takeaways. We're a church that focuses on discipleship, and one of the ways we do that is in one-on-one -on -one relationships. But we also have community groups that are offered throughout the year. If you want to find out more about Church of the Valley, I'd invite you to come join us at 9.30 or 11 a.m. on a Sunday morning as we worship, open the word of God, and have the opportunity to share with one another what God is teaching us. Amen. All right, so as you guys look at that video, there's a couple of things that you might be like, wow, that looks different. Like, I, had, I, <laughs> I didn't have a beard. And so that's, that's one piece. So some had more hair, and, or, like Mike, who had more hair with the mutton chops. But then I definitely had less hair and looked 25 years younger. And so uh, that's fine. JJ and I were just talking. He's like, I don't remember what you look like without your beard. I'm like, just wait. We're going to show you. <laughs> Today's different. Today is one of those days where we're in between two series. We've been doing, in Jesus' name, amen, a walk through the book of John for quite some time, and we just finished John chapter 11, and we're going to do the book of Jude starting next week. And usually, if you've been here at all, you know that we walk through the Word of God, usually verse by verse, word by word sometimes. And so today's a little bit different. Even though some things in that video are exactly the same, we still meet at 9.30 and 11. A lot of those people who are in the video are still here. Many of them have, actually all of them, have gotten older. And, yeah, it's weird. We still do and still encourage the serve one and sit one, where people serve in one of the services, and they sit and they're a part of the other service. We've gotten new carpet. Yay! 
And usually, just so you guys know, first service is about 15 minutes shorter than second service, and so we have a little bit more space in this service to worship in a way that doesn't feel like we have to be as quick. This morning, as we join together, we're going to worship together, and we are going to be equipped by God's very words recorded in history to know the God of the universe personally and experientially. Today's teaching is going to feel different as we're in between these two books. But today, I want us to talk about, study, and practice what we do here at COV. Why do we give up our Sunday mornings? Why do we come into a room together, listen, or sing some songs, stand up for the reading of God's word, listen to a hairy guy pontificate for about 40 minutes, then many give a percentage of their hard-earned income to the church in a velvet bag that normally gets passed through, We sing some more songs, do a time of sharing our takeaways with a microphone being passed around or in a small group. We hear some announcements of what's happening in the life of the church, and we stand, and myself or Mike usually dismiss us, depending on what service you're in, you hear Barbara, who played both services at the beginning, play the organ or the piano, and then we all leave, and hopefully we have a meal with someone that was in church with us, and we talk about what God taught us in a perfect world. It's not a perfect world, though. This is a brief synopsis of what generally happens on a Sunday morning here, and I give you that caricature, I give you that example, because I want us to think of, why do we do any of this as a church? It is so easy to go through the motions, it's so easy to just do what you were supposed to do. Oh, this is where they do that one song, and oh, now he's doing takeaways, and so we wanted to break it up a little bit. So today, I'm going to encourage us, like we do every week, to open God's Word, And usually on a Sunday, prior to opening the the sermon or getting into the sermon, we encourage people to open God's Word, and then many of us stand up and we read out loud the Scriptures. Now, so you know, this is a symbol of reverence of God's holy and perfect world that we get to then show others. So we stand to read the Word of God out of reverence for how important the Word is to us. Now, usually we have two individuals specifically read God's Word or they host the service. And in first service, we have a picture of him. It's usually Scott Rudolph. So let's look at his good-looking mug. No, uh, uh, that's Kyle. So the picture right before that. There we go. There's Scott. And Scott and his family, Carissa, and their beautiful baby, Lacey, have been a big part of this community ever since myself and family and others came to Church of the Valley. Scott served on the teaching team, he has served with the trustees, he's served in youth ministry, and he's been the youth director up until this past month where he's now decided he wants to volunteer a role more than he was doing before and not be on staff. But through him, we get to hear the word of God in first service spoken out loud, and often he'll host the service as well. In second service, you guys all know her, we have Ruth Zilka. And Ruth and her husband, Kyle, oh, they're just so pretty. So the second tallest person is Ruth. And Ruth generally reads scripture in the service. She hosts the service. And she exercises her communication gift while both her and Scott have helped with teachings on Sundays. And they've been a big part of the teaching team. Ruth also serves COV by helping the many meet COV meetings. If you've been a part of those, she's helped with the food, and she uses her hospitality passion in that, but also as her and Kyle have led community groups for the church. Ruth's taking the lead with our Church of the Valley Christmas party or our COV dinner 
on Friday, December 13th, as we're going to invite people, part of the community, to come and worship together, but not so much in song or in teaching, but really in, and we'll talk more about this, in fellowship and connection and partnership around the gospel. But we're going to eat really good food and get to know one another by sharing that time together. So we'll have opportunity to register in just a little bit. So they're usually up here reading scripture. And I want us to practice this discipline that we do about reading Scripture corporately. We get this idea of reading Scripture out loud from Paul telling Timothy in 1 Timothy 4, until I come, devote yourselves to the public reading of Scripture, to preaching and to teaching. So I'm going to ask you in the Bible in front of you, uh, or a Bible on your own phone, or you can read it up on the screen, to look at Acts chapter 2. And we're going to study, and we're going to read verses 42 through 47 today. Acts chapter 2, 42 through 47. And if you are able, would you please stand with me as we read the word of God. Acts chapter 2, 42 through 47. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles, and all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. This is the word of the Lord. Please have a seat. Now, this is what's different about this week in comparison to most weeks. We're not going to cover that entire passage. In fact, we're just going to pick apart a piece of it. But that passage we just read is known as the early church. It's known as right after Pentecost, as us Christians know it, happened, which really was known as the Feast of Harvest, where a bunch of Jews were all coming to Jerusalem all together at the same time. The Holy Spirit had been sent by God and had descended and had come upon and filled and dominated many of the disciples. And when the Holy Spirit comes, Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, he gets up and he preaches at this festival. And according to verse 41, here's where it starts, those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. So as we've said before, Peter gets up at Pentecost. He starts to preach to all these Jews, dominated by the Holy Spirit. And he, what I like to say, preaches the least seeker-sensitive sermon in all of history, and at least 3,000 people repent and trust and follow Jesus. So after this movement of the Holy Spirit, after the life, the death, the resurrection, and the ascension of Jesus Christ, we have the early church their response to the work of God at what we know as Pentecost. So this morning, if you said out loud to someone or you thought in your mind, I'm on my way to church today, I'm going to church today, here's what you were really saying. You were saying, I'm going to be with a group of people committed to Jesus Christ. That's what going to the church means. So we the people are the church. Not all of us, let me be real, not everyone who is in the room is the church. Don't look around and go, uh, maybe that, no, don't do that. (laughs) But you, those who are included in God's promise, those who have repented of their sins, that have by faith trusted Jesus Christ, you are included by God's supernatural intervention, by God drawing you to himself, you are included in his church. So let me make it simple. The church is not the steeple, 
but it's the people. Okay, so let's try that. It's not the steeple, steeple, but the people. Very good. You guys, okay, great. I'm ready for children's ministry next week. <laughs> so once that is clear, once that is clear that you realize you've gone to church to be with God's people, I want you to wrestle with, but why the church? Why do we assemble together? Why do we gather together? Why do we congregate together? Honestly, Scripture points to the fact that when we have trusted Christ, God gathers his people, his disciples, not merely by being in the same room together, but by being in one another's lives. Community groups, meals that we offer, Bible studies, one-on-one discipleship and mentor relationships, all of these are done and encouraged so we would engage with one another in community. Because, and hear me, Sanctification happens through relationship with Christ and people. Sanctification happens through relationship with Christ and people. Now, for me, I wanted to say sanctification happens through Christ by relationship with Christ and his people. But there's a reason I didn't say his people. Because many of us are growing because we, by God's grace, have been inspired, we have been given the faith to go and share our faith with other people, to tell others about what Christ has accomplished. And because of this, it's one of those ways that we're being refined. It's one of those ways that we're being sanctified because we rub off and rub against one another. And God uses that to smooth the edges of our lives, to sanctify us, to make us more holy. A few of us got to be a part of a church plant. It was known as Compelled Together, and it was the, the church plant that eventually merged with Church of the Valley a few years ago and became more Church of the Valley proper. But that church plant, Compelled Together, was fixated on what would it look like if we did a worship service, originally it was on Wednesday nights and then it was on Sunday afternoons, what would it look like to do a worship service that was the overflow of discipleship throughout the week? meaning we're in relationship, we're connecting with one another. So then when we come together, it's not, oh, haven't seen you since last week, or let's be real for some of us, haven't seen you in a few months, but we get together because we've spent time throughout the week with these people, and we get to celebrate what the Lord has done. Church of the Valley is a community, technically, that has existed since 1952, when a bunch of people from a church in San Jose wanted to plant a church in Santa Clara. What started out in the backyard of a house was a community known as Church of the Valley. And Church of the Valley, over some time as they grew, purchased land that we now worship on today. We worship in this building. That church that started purchased the land, not only this land, but the land across the street, which is known as Valley Village, the retirement home. And so they, the church actually helped build that and then gifted it to them to be their own retirement home. But myself and a few other members of this church are on the board for Valley Village. That doesn't mean email me if you don't like your current living situation. Just putting that out there. But this church also, when they purchased this land, built the chapel, which we use sometimes, but the chapel is where they originally worshipped. And then they built what we know as the check-in room and the nursery. And they started to build other things on the property, like the fellowship hall. And they built this worship center that we now worship in together. And what we do is because God has been incredibly 
gracious to us, and we, some of you may not know this, but the Christian Ed building over here that our kids play on and they go upstairs and spend time in some of those rooms and be taught the gospel, all of that was part of that, and the reason we can do that is because there's a school, a Stratford school, that pays rent to us, that we then take that money and put it back into the kingdom through missionaries and through staff and through people engaging in God's word. But I want to show you a pic of the backyard of the first time Church of the Valley met. So this is it. It was the first church time that they had met, and it was in the backyard down the street. I'm not going to say it, but some of you can read the address. And this is where they first met. It was in this backyard of this house in San Jose, 0.4 miles away. And then the next slide, if you don't mind. The next slide is a picture of the people that worshiped together for the very first time on July 20th, 1952 at 11 a.m. That's a very holy time, as all of you have noticed. And so they gathered together. Now, keep it on that. And so here's what happened. Um, it's right down the street, so I took those two, I took one of the pictures, pictures of the backyard, and it's actually on our wall in the, uh, over by the staff area, and I took the picture, and I walked over to this house to go knock on the door and talk to them. Now, I'd like to say that I knocked on the door, they opened the door, I told them that their home was actually part of the first, the expansion of Church of the Valley that met in their backyard, and as I explained that to them, they were overcome by the Spirit of God, and they said, well, what must I do to be saved? And I said, you must repent and trust Jesus Christ as Lord and be baptized on the 15th, and you will be forgiven for... No, I, none of that happened. Here's what happened. Next slide. I, they weren't home. So, a very hairy man took a, <laughs> took a selfie out front in their house. But I am going to go back there. I promise. At some point, I'm going to go back there, and maybe there will be another picture of me with some people or me running away. I don't know. All right, go back to the last slide. I don't want to see that for too long. All right, thank you. So, January of 2017, myself and the Cheneys and a few others came to this church. I was guest preaching. And I was guest preaching because the former pastor, Pat, who had been here for 26 years, had retired, and the church was looking for pulpit supply. So I came up, and it's really only happened once since. I stood on that platform with carpet that isn't this nice, and I stood up on that platform, and I preached. And, and then by the time the Cheneys and I and others were about to leave the campus, I had had three people come to me and say, you should apply to be the next pastor here. And I was like, yeah, no. And so I, I wasn't really interested in it. I had talked to some people that I would have liked to keep contact with, but I just was like, no, nah, it's not really what I want to do. In the same time, a church plant, Compelled Together, was starting to kind of come together. In fact, the first time we ever met was in the Miller's living room. And we, a few of us worshiped together and spent time together and took communion together. And then eventually, it's nice that you guys are right there, uh, it, it got... It was too small, so then eventually we went to the Cheney's backyard when they lived close, which I missed, and, and we went and worshiped in their backyard. And then eventually we moved to Sunnyvale, to Trinity Church in Sunnyvale, where my wife and I and Karen Miller and others had worked there before. And we started to worship there first on Wednesday nights and then on Sunday afternoons. In fact, we started as a church the Sunday before Easter in 2017. But this entire time, much of my heart was in Santa Clara. In fact, I've spent a lot of time in the city of Santa Clara. I've spent a lot of time, uh, uh, I went to middle school here. Since the age of 12, uh, 13, I've been in Santa Clara. I went to Bookster Middle School. I went to Santa Clara High, class of 99, what, what? And we, my wife and I, have lived in and around Santa Clara for most of our 16 years of marriage. 
And so when a few different leaders within our community, and my wife especially, came to me and said, why don't you apply for the role at COV? Your heart is in Santa Clara. I started to pray about it. I started to think through the city. So through much prayer, much advisement, I eventually, eventually applied for the lead role. And without giving you all the details, on July 1st, 2017, I officially became the lead pastor of Church of the Valley. You guys don't need to applaud. That's fine. Merging, <laughs> like it says, wait for applause. No, it doesn't say that. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> and when I came as the lead pastor, I, I, mer I got to be a part of merging compelled together our church plant with Church of the Valley. And here's what happened. The first week, we all met together. Some of you remember that. And then the second week, we started two services, not because there wasn't enough space, but because we're emerging two different communities with two completely different cultures. And the idea of just giving anyone whiplash of, hey, you're doing this, and now you're doing that, that just wasn't going to happen. So we started with two services, and people that were coming to one service started to integrate to the other service, and vice versa, because everything was new. Now, how many of you remember this term that we used to use? It was, uh, it's two slides ahead, Becky. It says, one church, two expressions, reaching a city. How many of you guys remember that? All right, so that's, when we came here, the idea was, hey, we're one church, but there's two different expressions of worship. I was the worst boss ever. I asked Erin Cheney to lead two different teams. I praise God she's still here. And so one church, two expressions, reaching a city. And I praise God that that's not what we are anymore. We are one church, one expression, all about Jesus. Amen? Amen. That's who we are. And as a church plant and a leader coming to Church of the Valley, I made it as clear as possible over and over and over that everything we we're going to do was going to be all about Jesus Christ and what he's accomplished and what he's doing. In fact, a mentor and a friend once said to me after visiting Church of the Valley a while back, here's what he said, Kevin Compline, he said, when you exalt Jesus Christ, God draws people to him. When you exalt Jesus Christ, God draws people to him. So we want to always be about telling the good news of the person and work and teachings of Jesus Christ. So with all of that, that was my intro, all 20 minutes of it, let's jump into verse 42. Here we go. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. They, who's they? The people that had just come to Christ, many of these 3,000, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. They devoted themselves. I want to start off with the fact that the early church were a bunch of people who had repented because they had heard about, they had seen, they had walked with Jesus Christ after he had died and risen from the dead. And so these apostles would teach, but what would they teach? They would teach the Old Testament. It's the left side, and let's be honest, some of us, it's the dusty part of our Bible. And they would teach the Old Testament but they would make it and make known that all of the Old Testament pointed to Jesus Christ, the future Messiah. And so at this point, they would tell stories of them walking with Jesus, which we know as the Gospels. But they would also point back to the Old Testament, how the Old Testament was explaining the Messiah who would come, who is Jesus Christ. So they would teach this. And so I want you to know that as Church of the Valley, as uh, one of the pastors here at this church, we, ever since we got here, and, and as long as you'll have me as your pastor, we will always preach the Bible honestly. We will always preach the Bible honestly. Listen, there are hard things in this text. Did you guys know that? 
There are difficult things in this text. You start to read some of this, and you're like, oh, what did he mean there? Why did this happen? What about that? Some of you are like, please don't ever teach Romans. I bring my friends here. No, we're going to teach Romans, okay? And there are difficult things that are in this, but they're there so we can know the heart and the character of this beautiful God who has saved us. There's a lot in this that's countercultural. And honestly, there's a lot of people that want to discriminate against those who have trusted Christ because we believe in a God who did for us what we could not do for ourselves. And we believe what he actually says in the word. And they don't want to trust what he has to say, but if you can live, die, and rise again, I'm with you. But we choose to teach this text honestly. In fact, we teach it, here's a fun word, I dare any of you to try to spell it, exegetically meaning we teach it within the context in which it was written in mind, a.k.a. context determines meaning. And we believe with that understanding of exegetical, we're going to read this within the context in which it was written. We also believe Scripture interprets Scripture. And so if you look on the back of your bulletins, you see a bunch of different verses. Why? Because we want to make sure that you understand that the things that we're saying come from God's Word, and we want Scripture to interpret Scripture because the fact is, we can get the Bible to say whatever we want if we quote one verse out of context. So we choose to teach it honestly, Scripture interpreting Scripture. And, and I get to be the main teacher here at COV, but we have a teaching team. We have other people that are good communicators, including Daniel Delwood. But, but one of the other communicators you're going to hear probably most often other than me is our executive pastor, Mike Miller. And Mike is one of those guys who does everything here at the church. Like, if you walk onto campus, sometimes you see signs. That's because Mike put those out there for the people that are new. He puts out these signs. He, he oversees the management of the finances for the church. He helps lead the staff. And probably the thing he didn't realize was the most important thing on his job description, he keeps the lead pastor sane as being a sounding board, a friend, a mentor, Someone who walks with me and prays for me and has my back. And it is such an honor to partner and shepherd with such a godly man who's not perfect, but he's pursuing Jesus. And so, such a good-looking man. We believe that coming together around the Word of God is something that God's people intrinsically want to do and need to do for their own spiritual growth and their well-being. In fact, Hebrews 10, verses 24 through 25, the writer of Hebrews puts it this way, And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together. And then he throws some shade. As some are in the habit of doing, I kind of wish he had pointed fingers, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. There are a lot of us that want to gather for a lot of different reasons. But the reason that we gather, the reason that we congregate, the reason that we assemble is to sit at the feet of Jesus, to sit at the feet of the word of God as it is taught in the context in which it is taught, to be led by the Spirit, to allow the Holy Spirit to convict us and to conform us more into the image of Christ. So we promise to preach the word. Paul says to Timothy, preach the word, young Timothy. Be prepared in season and out of season. I don't know if he said it like that, but I'm saying it like that. Preach the word. Be, in, be prepared in season and out of season. Correct yay, rebuke, yay, and encourage, oh, with great patience and careful instruction. And I don't, I'm not making fun of that. Really, the fact is, a lot of times we try to get the Bible to be a moral compass for people, but we use it as a moral bat. 
And that's not what this is for. This is so people can understand our God better and we can put it into practice. So we promise to preach the word. Not our opinions, not a cultural, relevant, self-help message, but the truth that exists within this bound book. With the gospel at the forefront, with the gospel as the filter and the foundation of the message of this living word. Because it is useful and I'd contend vital for correction and encouragement. And not only did we say that we would preach the word honestly, that was a big thing. As a church plant coming over here, we are going to preach the word honestly, but we're also going to focus on not doing child care, but we invest in our children. You see the difference? See, you can do child care at Ikea. I loved that. You drop your kid off, they go play, they have lots of fun, you come back and get them. They're like, why can't we have this at our house? Because I can't read Swedish. Never mind. And so, so, we don't do child care. We invest in our children. In fact, our children's ministry is probably the biggest well-kept secret treasure in this church body, unless you're a parent or a volunteer. Because since the beginning, we wanted to make sure that our children were invested in and taught the gospel of Jesus Christ, not one and done, but consistently. We wanted to teach them the word of God. And the children's ministry is so blessed to be led by the children's ministry director. We have a picture of her. And what I'm about to say is about Aaron Riley. And some of you are going to be like, you're totally biased. I totally am. She's the love of my life. She's all my baby's mama. And she's my wife. But others who know Aaron, they would agree also that there are very few people on this earth that they've ever met that love Jesus and other people's kids like she does. That's our children's director. And because we want our children to be in community, we want them to hear the gospel, we want them to be able to engage. But here's the thing. We're going to see in Deuteronomy and Proverbs that there's a responsibility that we have as parents. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 6 through 7, it says, These commandments that I give you today to love God, are to be on your hearts, impress them on your children, talk about them when you sit at home and when you talk along, walk along the road. I think that meant drive now. When you lie down and when you get up, Proverbs 22, 6, start children off on the way they should go and even when they are old, they will not turn from it. See, we as a church leadership cannot disciple your children. We get an hour and a half with them once a week if we're lucky. But we're here to equip and be a resource to help you invest in your children, to encourage you to ask your children what their takeaways were from children's ministry. Once they can start talking, they can start telling you what they've learned. And so we want our children's ministry to be something that's focused on investing in your children, even in the nursery where the kids won't talk back and they cry and they do other stuff that's less fun. We pray for your children. Because we want to see your kids come to know Jesus Christ. Acts 2.42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. Fellowship is in bold, at least here. Eh, You can kind of see it there. To the breaking of bread and to prayer. See, the early church also devoted themselves to fellowship. This word for many of us conjures up the idea of Christians in the same room drinking Pete's coffee, which is good, or eating food, And even though neither of those are wrong, they're incomplete because the word fellowship is a Greek word that's koinonia, and it means partnership. 
And we believe that the partnership that we strive for today and the partnership that they had as the early church was to be in partnership in the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we can get together, we can hang out, we can be unified, but we're not going to do unity for unity's sake. We're going to do what we do because we are in right relationship with Jesus and we want to spend time with others who are also in right relationship with Jesus. Paul says in Romans 1, verse 16, he says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. The message of the gospel is the power of God. It brings salvation to those who God has given eyes to see as he's opened the eyes to those who would understand the beauty of Christ that he did for us what we could not do for ourselves, that he lived the life we could not live. He physically died the death that we should have died. He victoriously rose from the dead, and so we know him as Lord. And this is why we have missionaries. This is why we sent some of our very best in the hosses to Cambodia and Kevin Chang to Colorado and to help equip other people across the globe because they're about the gospel, and we want the gospel to be sent to the ends of the earth. So we as a community are devoted to fellowship. And that fellowship's always going to be about the gospel. That doesn't mean we don't just get together to have fun or boba, as some of you say. I know that what happens in the church is a lot of us are friends, a lot of us are doing different things, and that's awesome, and I'm grateful for the fact, and let me be real, for the first time in 18 years of ministry, I have a friend group. I actually have friends that I can call on. I have friends that I spend time with. I have friends that I do life with. But you know what's most important? That I, at the drop of a hat, any of those friends, I can get together with them and open the word of God and pray with them and be partnered around God and the gospel. And that's why we as a church offer community groups. That's why we offer opportunities to grow deeper in relationship with God and with one another. See, we are so incredibly fortunate. You guys don't even know to have a community group director in Karen Miller who deeply cares for Jesus and his people. Yeah, Mike should say that. <laughs> Karen serves and is responsible for making sure that community group leaders are equipped that they're empowered, that they're supported, so that as many of you lead community groups or you apprentice, you're helping people be part of making the church smaller in the fact that they can actually engage with other people and be shepherded by them as we grow into the likeness of Jesus. Community groups are a way we can grow together, specifically by engaging in a deeper discussion about the teaching on Sunday. It gives the community group leader more time to engage in shepherding and facilitating a group and discussion so they don't have to come up with a new teaching, but they help us dig deeper into the teaching that's already been taught. In the church today, we are over-informed and under-dependent upon God. Let me say that again. In the church today, we are over-informed and under-dependent upon God. And so the goal for these groups as a community is so that we can spur one another on towards actually applying what God is teaching us through his very word. Acts 2.42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. So the early church after experiencing God in a powerful way through the message of the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus and the sending of the Holy Spirit, created in these devoted followers of Jesus this time to do what he said, which was to break bread. 
For a lot of us, we would just assume this means a meal. For a lot of us, we would just assume that this means communion. And both of those are not wrong, but they're incomplete. We practice what theologians call the ordinances, which Jesus left for us as Protestant Christians, those who have trusted Jesus Christ. We believe in the ordinances. There are two specific things. But hear me, neither of these ordinances justify you, and neither of them make you more holy. They are opportunities to remember what Christ has already done for you. So Matthew chapter 3, verses 13 through 15, it's when Jesus came to be baptized. It says this, then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan, that's a river, to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. We at COV believe that those who have made a personal commitment to Jesus, those who have decided to follow Jesus, they should be baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, not because the baptism saves you, but because it identifies you with the one you've committed and who has already saved you by trusting Christ and what he's done for you. So Jesus says, we do this to fulfill all righteousness. This isn't so you'd be made righteous. This isn't so you'd have right standing with God. This isn't so you'd be declared innocent. This isn't so you'd be saved. This is because all of that's already taken place through what Christ has accomplished for you. And this is just the symbolism through the outward expression of baptism, going underneath the water, dying to yourself, and being brought back up like Christ was resurrected. So for some of you, you're going to get this, just as many as of you love your spouse, you don't just say that you love them, but you commit to them. Well, like a wedding is an outward celebration of your commitment and love for your spouse, in the same way, baptism is an outward expression of your commitment and love for Jesus Christ. So let's continue in that passage. After Jesus comes out of the water, it says, in verse 16, as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went out of the water, and that moment heaven was opened. And he saw the Spirit of God, I'll get it, descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love and with him I am well pleased. Here's the reason I read that. Because as followers of Jesus, as people who are in love with the one true God, we believe in the Trinity. One God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. When Jesus was baptized, we see this one God in three persons all at the same time in Scripture, and we don't believe that God becomes the Father and then the Son and then the Spirit. He's been one God in three persons for all of eternity. And we have this one God in perfect relationship within and of himself, and he's always existed. But these, baptiz these baptisms in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, let's be real. They're some of the most exciting times we get to experience together, aren't they? No? Nobody? Baptism? Meh, baptism, whatever. <laughs> baptisms are exciting, right? Okay, fantastic. So we have some pictures. So, Becky, would you turn that first one? So this was just a few weeks ago. This was Pat, who myself and her husband, Eugene, got to baptize her. She's been following Jesus. The gospel has made sense to her, and she's so excited, and she just wanted to show others what she believed inwardly. Next, we have Rachel. 
And Rachel got to be, uh, Rachel's someone that I performed her and her husband Travis's wedding. We've dedicated Abby, their daughter. And so she said, you know, I need to stop fooling around. God don't play games. I need to outwardly show what I believe inwardly. And so Sarah, who's been spending time with her and investing in her, we got to have this opportunity to baptize her. Show the next one. Our very own Anne. She really loves attention. Don't look at her. Anne is, <laughs> is someone who's been following Jesus for a while, but God has just done a work in her over the past year, and she decided that even though she was baptized when she was younger, she wanted to outwardly show what she believed inwardly now, and God's just working on her heart, and it's so cool to watch, and so Pastor Mike and I got to be a part of it. Next one. Uh, I'd like to say just skip this one because this one makes me cry, but this is my oldest daughter, Reagan, who I never thought God was going to get a hold of. And it was so cool to be a part of, like, when I pulled her out of the water, I straight up lost it. But it is so cool to watch God get a hold of her heart. But here's the thing you, many of you don't know. That's Carissa, who helped me with the baptism, who's been spending time with Reagan and talking to her about the Word of God. Years ago, I got to be a part of seeing her come to faith, and I baptized Carissa. So this was even more special for me as we got to be a part of Reagan being baptized. There's the next one. I apologize, these are on my phone, so these are terrible pictures, but that's Max and I getting the opportunity to baptize Marie, who is a passionate follower of Jesus who goes to Santa Clara University and is making much about Jesus. Next. This is Robbie. I like to say Robbie's 11 feet tall because when he worships and stands up and puts his hands up, he is 11 feet tall. But Scott and I got to baptize Robbie. Robbie and Scott played baseball together in college and they've been friends, and Robbie was in Scott's wedding, and I got to perform that wedding, get to know Robbie better, and Scott and others have been investing in Robbie, and he's been following Jesus, and it's so beautiful. Next. Next, we have Jason Martin, who I adore, and Jason is this young man who also played baseball with Scott in high school and college, and Jason, uh, him and his wife have been a big part of this church. Jason's brother-in-law and sister-in-law have started to come to the church with their kids, and God's just gotten a hold of Jason's life, and he loves the Red Sox, so there's multiple things I love about Jason. Next, this is Cyrene. We got to see Cyrene show outwardly what she believes inwardly quite some time ago when she said, I'm committed to Jesus, and we're just watching her faithfully trust him every step of the way. Next. This is Eugene. Hey, Daryl. I love that picture. Hey. <laughs> but this is Eugene, who was a big part of our college ministry pulse, and God got a hold of his heart, and he decided that he wanted to be baptized. Next. Oh, this is Liz. You can't tell with Erin's arm because it's cut off, but her arms are super long. And, and she's going, yes, because Liz is a dear friend of the Cheneys and the Rileys and the Zilkas and many others. And God's just been doing a really cool work in her life. Next. <laughs> it's Paxton. Paxton. He's, he's a little bigger now. <laughs> and that's Stephen. He's a little hairier now. Stephen's 38 today. Someone tell him happy birthday after the service but we got to be a part of watching the Cheney's firstborn be baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, Holy Spirit, and then this picture. Next one. That's Lorelai. It's my second daughter that my wife Erin and I got to baptize who just has this heart for the gospel and this heart for Jesus. And so I show you these pictures. There's many other baptisms we've done. These were just the ones I could find the pictures for. But the reason that I bring all of this up, the reason that I tell you all of this is because we practice baptism because it's something the Lord told us to do. It's an ordinance. But there was another one, and it's, it's this. It's communion. And so today, we're going to have the opportunity to practice communion. So worship team, why don't you come on up? In Luke chapter 22, verse 19, 
Jesus, he took bread and he gave thanks and he broke it and he gave it to them, his disciples, and he said, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So we, like them, also take of the wine. We use grape juice. And we take the bread and the wine, and it signifies that Jesus broke his body so that we could be healed, that he poured his blood at Calvary so our sins could be forgiven. And we, and we practice baptism, and we do these ordinances because this is an outward expression of what we believe inwardly. The act of communion doesn't make you any more saved, doesn't make you any more sanctified, but it does absolutely bring your heart and mind in alignment with remembering what Christ has done for you. So we often take communion here, and when we do, we have the cup and we have the bread, and we take the bread and we dip it in the cup and we partake. And that's how we generally do it. It's not how we always will do it, but that's how we currently do it. And it's just a reminder that Christ shed his blood and he broke his body so those who would partake in his salvation, that they would receive the free gift of his salvation, would have right standing with God. We also have these offering plates. These offering plates are here for those who have come prepared to give of their offering, to give as a sacrifice. Now, see, we don't talk about tithes. The reason we don't talk about tithes is because tithe generally is an Old Testament practice, which just meant you gave 10%. For some, 10% of your income is nowhere near where you can currently give, not because of economics, but because of faith. And we don't want offering to ever feel like it's something that's transactional. And for some, a tenth of what we make is significantly less than what we want to give because God has blessed you with abundance and faith to give what you have decided between you and God. So whatever you give, it's all about the heart behind why you give. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7, it says, Each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So with that, we're going to practice communion. We're going to practice offering. God, we pray that your spirit would lead us. We pray that your word would impact our hearts. And that, God, we would worship the one true God. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys can have a quick seat. Worship team, thank you so much. Get ready to come back up, though. So with that, we do these ordinances and we see in Acts 2, verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. We have this pick of this worship night, worship and prayer night. Prayer and worship night is really what it was called. And we did this this past week. It was on Wednesday. Is that right? Oh, good. It was on Wednesday night, and I took a picture of it, and we were in the chapel, and a bunch of us, a bunch of different generations, a bunch of people that possibly worship in different ways and know different songs, came together and worshiped. And one of the reasons we do this as a community is we want people to understand that we are dependent upon God. That's why we do what we do. We are dependent upon God. And one of the identifying traits of a person who's been redeemed by God is to be dependent upon him. And that's why I think that the early church devoted themselves to prayer in conversation with God. And so when we offer a prayer and worship night like this, that Stephanie Thomas and Gabriel Wills and Laura Stengel lead so we could engage in prayer, we could engage in singing praises to God, we want to make sure that people know that this is one of the expressions that we have to show that we are dependent upon God. Not the getting together, but the wanting to be with one another, to pray over one another, and to worship authentically as a body of believers. 
Every week we come together. Every week we have the opportunity to sing praises to God's name, to be prepared for worship throughout the week because this isn't the only place that you need to worship. We get to have lives that are worship services devoted to God. So we're so blessed to have a worship director that cares so much about giving glory to God through the expression of worship and Aaron Cheney. Let's show that picture. Stephen, this is your time to... There you go. And Aaron works very hard with a very fantastic worship and tech team to make known as a community that Jesus is the point. We worship him in spirit and truth. We get to worship him in musical worship. We get to practice heaven, and we get to sing praises to our God and King. But most of us don't know how spoiled we are to have the worship leaders that we do or the worship director that we have. We get to worship God. We get to praise him. In Colossians 3, verses 16 through 17, let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. I'm so grateful that we have a worshipful church. Now, what I mean by that is that we worship God, that we're dependent upon him. I'm not saying we all fall down in the aisle, okay? That's not what I'm talking about. But that we, through prayer and through worship, want to make things about Jesus. We want to be dependent upon him. We want to worship him. This past uh, semester, we had the opportunity for a prayer community group that we got to offer where we got to talk about why and how do people pray And I know that that group prayed every single week consistently and prayed for me and prayed for you. And so Stephanie Thomas did a great job of leading us towards dependence in community through prayer. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 16 through 18, Paul says to the church in Thessalonica, Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. You want to know what God's will for you is? Boom shakalaka. We dream to be a community that does these things for the right reasons. To rejoice always, no matter the circumstances, because Christ has risen. He has defeated death. He has conquered the grave. He is as alive today as he was on the third day when he came out of the grave. And because of this, we as his children can rejoice always. We can pray and be in dialogue with our God without ceasing, to be in such constant communication with the Lord that our dialogue never feels distant or one-sided because of our constant connection to the Lord of Lords and King of Kings. I've heard some of us say, when I pray, he just feels distant. Well, he didn't go anywhere. You might have. We can give thanks in all circumstances. And here's the truth as we share this. I'm probably going to look back at this sermon next year and go, wow, his beard's hairy. But, but I also think I'm going to look back at this sermon a year from now and go, man, what a special season. And I don't want to take it for granted. Because you know what? In, in, bund- in abundance or in peace or in trials and storms, we can give praise to our God. We can give thanks no matter what we're going through, because Christ has done for us what we cannot do. And because we understand and believe that those trials lead us to something. In Romans chapter 5, verses 3 through 5, Paul writes to the church in Rome, and he says, not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings. 
Because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Larry McNally, who's been at the church for decades, once said it this way, trials are just evidence that God wants to grow me to look more like Jesus. So good. That was his takeaway on a Sunday, and it's never left my mind, and I want to quote it whenever we're talking about trials, because he exegeted that passage perfectly. It is through those trials that perseverance happens. It's through that perseverance that our character is tested, and it is that character that points us to the hope that we have in Jesus Christ, and that the Holy Spirit has been given to us so we can glory in our sufferings, and we can glorify our, the one true God. All of these things that are the will of the Lord for us, that we would rejoice always, that we would pray without ceasing, we would give thanks in all circumstances, because these are the works that are done through the power of the Spirit who is evidenced by God by being in you that you do these things. You don't do these to be saved. You do these because you've been saved by God. Rejoice always, 1 Thessalonians 5.16. Pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So one last time, Acts 2.42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. So we as a community of God's people at COV, the church of Jesus Christ, the church of the valley in Santa Clara, want to be a people that are devoted to Jesus and what he is doing through us. We want to grow into the likeness of Jesus by being doers of his word for the right reason. And so that if something I've said today, if you've been tweaked and there's this moment of you realizing, man, I want to be a part of this community, here's what I'd tell you to do. Keep coming on Sundays. Engage with people you're sitting near on Sundays and throughout the week. Invite people out to coffee. Invite them to lunch. Everybody eats. It's not a weird request. You want to get a meal, they're going to eat. They just might not choose to spend it with you. I'm just kidding. Ask somebody, hey, would you like to go grab a meal? Do life with one another. Engage in community groups. Meet people. Read scripture with other people with the intent to not just read it and go, oh, that was good, but to put it into practice. Look for people that are a little farther ahead than you in, the, in their walk with God and ask them if you can spend time with them. Let me, let me show you a picture of our elders. We're a, I mean, Kyle makes us look good. Uh, we're a good-looking group, I guess. And God has blessed, and I know this for a fact because I've known all of these men minimum five years, God is blessing this group of elders as we meet every month, as we pray for you throughout the month, as we, uh, not perfectly, but attempt to lead our families well and pour into our children, pour into our spouse, and pour into other people within the community. God has blessed these men with not perfection, but with the pursuit that leads to progress because they're following the perfect one. We have another team that I want you guys to see. It's, it's our staff. And, like, to be totally honest, our elders best I've ever seen. But our staff, oh my gosh, amazing. Amazing to be able to worship and spend time in community with them throughout the week in our staff meetings. Barbara Simmons likes coming to staff meetings. She's been on church for 65 years. She will say it's the first time that's ever happened. The staff meetings, but also wanting to go to them. <clears throat> and so, I mean, I look at this group and I look at Calvin on the far right, who's Mike and Karen's son, 
And they know this, and they know they're, God's using them to be a part of it, but ever since Calvin's been a part of the community, we've just seen him grow in ways we've never seen him before grow. Robin, the office manager who cares for the rest of the staff, and she's the hostess with the mostest, and she cares. Oh, I'm so grateful for her. Laura, who runs our, our uh, she oversees all creative things within the church. And she helps with tech, and she makes sure that people are a part of tech, and she pretty much does everything that we ask for the glory of Christ's name, and I'm so grateful for her. Gabriel, with that beautiful smile, one of our worship leaders, one of our interns with Calvin and Malik, who are just investing in other people and making much about Jesus. Moises, who's our tech lead, who truly cares that we would be able to amplify the word of God, amplify singing and praise, and he's got the coolest baritone voice I've ever heard. And then Malik, oh, that smile, dang, bro. Wow, give me a second, wow. <laughs> but we're getting to hear some of the gift that God's given him in worship leading and investing and pouring into his own family. And I am just so grateful for this team. And so I say all of that to say this is a special season in this church. And if you wanna know what we're about, we've talked about it today. We're about making much of Jesus for the glory of his name by putting into practice his word for the right reasons. So lastly, what do we do at the end of service? We generally spend some time putting, giving us the opportunity to share what we've just learned. In James chapter 1, verse 22, James says it this way, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. So at the end of services, usually we spend time doing takeaways. We give us the opportunity to share with one another what God is teaching us. Sometimes, especially in this service, we get people to talk with one another and share. And so here's what I want us to do. We have four questions that we usually use in community groups. We use them in one-on-ones often. What was your takeaway? Who can you teach that to? What do you believe God is telling you to do differently and who will hold you accountable to do so? And we have these questions. There is no magic in the questions. The magic is in the willingness to put into practice what you're learning.